You're listening, listening to the Adult's Guide to Adulting. This is the show where we explore our experiences growing up as we figure out life together. And now, your host, Quinn Breedlove. What in the world is the true rally of toilet paper during a pandemic? I want you to ask yourself that question, but I don't want you to worry about answering it just yet. In today's show, we're going to be talking about all things social distancing, where it originated from, how to survive it, and most importantly, why are people panic buying so much toilet paper? If you find that you enjoyed today's show, feel free to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, and if you'd like to connect, you can do so by going to our website, theadultsguide.com. There, you can leave me an audio voicemail message, and you might just get featured on an upcoming episode. Without further ado, let's get into today's topic, social distancing. All right, guys. So if you were to ask me what social distancing was before the whole pandemic started, I would have probably said something like me at home on a Friday night watching Disney+. Plus. As I'm sure many of you know by now, social distancing isn't me just choosing to be antisocial, but a very effective tool in curbing the spread of COVID-19. Yes, I am another person talking about the coronavirus, although I want to take a different spin on things today, and I think it's really interesting and informative. But before we get all into that, quick trivia tidbit for you guys. COVID-19 isn't the name of the virus. So it turns out that the name of the actual virus is SARS-CoV-2, while the name of the disease you get from the virus is COVID-19. So if any of you are into trivia and you end up winning an amazing game because of that little tidbit, let me know. A little bit of self-promotion before the show starts. You can go on our website, theadultsguide.com, leave me a voicemail message, I'll listen to it, and you might get featured in an upcoming episode. But anyways, we really want to limit the impact that COVID-19 and pretty much all infectious diseases have on us. So we really need to be practicing social distancing, right? I mean, because we've all heard of flattening the curve. We've all seen models and graphs showing that we should stay in small groups of 10 people and less. We've all seen Dr. Fauci somewhere online or on TV giving an interview He seems like a really nice guy. I'm just going to throw that out there. But we've got so many sources telling us that we really need to engage in social distancing. I was wondering just how effective that is. Like, in my mind, I was thinking, how is me not going to go see my friends for a day really going to help slow down this global pandemic? I was curious. So I did some research And it turns out that you don't have to look very far for a real-world example on exactly how effective social distancing is. We're going to go back about 100 years ago to 1918, the beginning of America's fight with the Spanish flu. October 4th, 1918. World War I had just about come to an end. The soldiers were coming home to the States, and with them, they brought the first domestic cases of the Spanish flu. Now, people back then didn't have quite as deep of an understanding on how flus worked, but they knew that this one was different, and because of this World War I and the soldiers were coming back, they named it the Spanish flu. Now, 
that's a very infamous name for us right now. But at the time, it wasn't really seen as that big of a deal. And Philadelphia had a Liberty Parade planned the next week. So this parade was planned as a celebration for Liberty. I mean, we had just won the war. Spirits were very, very high at this time. I think of it as kind of like the Macy's Thanksgiving parade, just with probably less floats. They probably didn't have the peanuts or uh, what's the what's the bird's name? It's not wood. It's not woodpecker. I don't know. I have to think of that. Woodstock. I think it's Woodstock. They didn't have a Woodstock float, probably, but it was a really big parade, and there were some talks on potentially canceling that because it was a really big event, and the first cases of the Spanish flu were just being reported. It was kind of unpopular to cancel such a happy event, and it went on as scheduled. 200,000 people gathered in the streets of Philadelphia, and they celebrated Liberty. In hindsight, it wasn't the best idea. Six weeks later, 12,000 people ended up dying from the outbreak of the Spanish flu. And over the course of the entire Spanish flu run, half a million people in Philadelphia alone got infected, which is honestly devastating. Philadelphia didn't implement social distancing soon enough, but thankfully... Other cities like St. Louis went about things a completely different way. Dr. Max Starkloff was the health commissioner at the time, and he saw the virus marching across the U.S. What he ended up doing was literally just calling the mayors of the respective cities who were in the line of fire, so to speak, and asking them how many cases of the flu they had. With that data, he ended up predicting when the flu would arrive in St. Louis, it was accurate to about a day, which is very impressive for the slow speed of information back then. Because Starkloff knew when the flu would arrive in the city, he ended up going to the board of aldermen and helped pass a bill requiring all doctors to report all cases of the flu. After he did that, the flu was then considered a reportable disease and the mayor could then proclaim an epidemic, which he did. Once the epidemic was proclaimed, that essentially gave Starkloff, as the health commissioner, very broad powers to essentially close whatever he wanted. Now remember, the flu still hadn't even made it to St. Louis yet, but Starkloff was like, I'm shutting everything down. He ended up closing theaters, moving picture shows, schools, pool, billiard halls, lodges and society meetings, dance halls, conventions, public funerals and churches. He actually had a lot of support from churches. He worked with religious leaders there and helped encourage them to instruct their congregation on how to worship from home. Now, the flu inevitably hit St. Louis and people did end up dying, but at dramatically lower rates compared to the rest of the country. Because of this, Starkloff slowly started opening back up the community, but every time he did, they would see a spike in cases and they'd have to reclose things. After this happened a few times, Starkloff really closed down everything and tightened up the restrictions. He ended up limiting store hours. He banned children under the age of 16 years old from going into stores entirely, and he instructed the police to break up small gatherings of people and to keep everyone on the sidewalks moving. Starkloff even went as far as essentially hijacking the upcoming Armistice celebration on November 11th to declare a four-day holiday, closing all businesses. 
Now, because of the financial impact, this was an extremely unpopular opinion. He was opposed by the Chamber of Commerce, and even the mayor who backed him thought it was unnecessary. Even though he thought it was unnecessary, the mayor, Mayor Keel, trusted his health commissioner, Starkloff, and gave him that support, closing everything. The city of St. Louis essentially remained like that until it reopened about a month and a half later on December 28th. Because of the drastic measures that Starkloff took to enforce social distancing, a total of 1,700 people ended up dying over the span of the entire flu inside of St. Louis. 1,700 people compared to the 12,000 people who died within the first six weeks in Philadelphia. That's a very drastic delta. And it really just goes to show not only how important social distancing is, but how effective it is in saving the lives of thousands and thousands of people. So I think we all can agree that we really need to be practicing social distancing in order to keep everybody healthy. But I'm going to let you guys in on a little secret. So before social distancing really came into the limelight and before everyone was really talking about it, I didn't really know what it was, but I did know that a lot of people had stopped flying on planes and that there were really cheap tickets. So I may or may not have gone to Google Flights and saw $45 tickets to Miami Beach. And I was like, spring break, here I come. Called up my friends. We planned out this whole trip like last minute. Now, again, this was before social distancing was really a big thing, and I wasn't really paying attention to the news. And luckily, I got some counsel. I started looking at what social distancing was, and we called off the trip. And I'm so glad I did, because not quite everyone got the same memo. If I get corona, I get corona. At the end of the day, I'm not going to let it stop me from partying. You know, I've been waiting. We've been waiting for Miami spring break for a while. About two months we've had this trip planned. Two, three months. We're just out here having a good time. Whatever happens, happens. That was almost me. So that was Brady Slutter. He since apologized, as you might imagine, after saying something like that on the internet. But it really just goes to show that social distancing might not be the most fun thing in the world to do. But until we have a vaccine, it's really the best option we have. So later on in the show, we're going to talk more about the isolation side of social distancing, the emotional impact it can have on us, and really how to manage those emotions so that we have the most positive outcome possible. But before that, we have a brand new segment, 5-Minute Footnotes. Welcome to 5-Minute Footnotes. This is the part of the show where we take a bit of a detour from our main topic and look at a different aspect of things. We'll cover stories that are funny, strange, or in our case today, a little bit of both. Take a listen. Toilet paper is disappearing around the globe, and nobody is taking it sitting down. The New York Post reported that it has triggered fistfights in supermarket aisles in Australia, where one family inadvertently contributed to the crisis by ordering 48 boxes of toilet paper instead of 48 rolls. 
roughly 12 years' worth. The BBC reported on an audacious armed robbery at dawn in Hong Kong. And in Japan, Sora News said that one shopkeeper decided the only way to protect his restroom from desperate toilet paper thieves was to draw up traditional curses to protect his stash of spare loo rolls. Yes, what you just heard was a real news story. That was not fake, that was not made up, that is actually happening. People are fighting and hoarding toilet paper from each other in the middle of the store. Now, I was really confused by this because coronavirus, that's a respiratory disease, not a gastrointestinal one. And me personally, like maybe I'm crazy. I reserved that right. Maybe I'm crazy. But personally, I would think the first things to go would be non-perishables like rice, canned food, cleaned water not toilet paper. So when I heard this, I had to look into it. And it turns out that panic buying toilet paper is actually just the latest form of an old phenomenon called the bandwagon effect. So the bandwagon effect is when the rate of adoption towards a specific idea or behavior increases the more it's already been adopted by others. So basically, the more people do one thing, the more other people who saw them do that thing also want to do it. And it just keeps going on and on from there. And that behavior is actually pretty common. So here where I live in Georgia, we have a very similar kind of effect, but not with toilet paper, with bread, milk and eggs. Whenever there's a mention of snow, a light flurry or I mean, black eyes, people lose their minds over black eyes. But whenever the news says there's black eyes, there's any kind of snow or anything like that, people just buy up all the bread, milk, and eggs. And I mean, I guess they're going home to make French toast. Like, I don't want to be too harsh here because personally, I love French toast and I think it's honestly delightful. But at a point, you have to ask yourself the question, can you make too much French toast? And... I didn't think I was going to do this on this podcast, but I'm going to go on the record and say, I think the answer is yes. I think you honestly can make too much French toast, which, I mean, that's a big statement for me. But um, uh, yeah, that's what we have in Georgia. On the coast, apparently peanut butter flies off the shelf every hurricane season. I'm curious to know if that's true or not. I don't live on the coast. If you do happen to live on the coast, let me know. If you go to our website and the show notes, you can leave me an audio voicemail and you might just get featured on an upcoming episode. So yeah, this isn't a new thing. This is just the latest form of an old phenomenon. But I'm going to let you guys in on a little secret. I think I know how this whole thing started. Now, this is just me personally thinking. I don't know if this is actually what happened. But I'm willing to bet this was a complete fluke started inadvertently by one person. So what I'm willing to bet is that there was a bunch of people at the grocery store and people were panicking from the news, which which I think everyone was kind of doing with the coronavirus news. I was in a Kroger in Alabama right when the first cases were being reported and there's an old guy whistling, don't worry, be happy, as he walked into the store. But when he got in the store, all of the associates were frantic. All of the people were frantic. There was this, this one poor, he must have been a teenager or something. 
but he was unpacking like these jugs of water and putting them on the uh, on the shelf and the people were taking the water as he was putting it up and he, I don't know it was just so sad to see but I'm willing to bet a scenario like that everyone was panicking in the store and this one person just didn't know what to do and grabbed as much toilet paper as they could and booked it out the store and then other people probably saw that and was thinking they know something I don't. I also need a bunch of toilet paper. And so everyone in the aisle also took all the toilet paper and then that just kept going. And by the end of the day, all the toilet paper was gone. Then someone called the news. They show these shots of just empty, desolate toilet paper aisles and that starts the whole thing. Again, I don't know if that's what happened, but if it did, I wonder who that first person was and if they knew that they would start a cultural movement of toilet paper pandemonium. Hey guys, so we've been talking a lot about the reasoning behind social distancing and at least until we have a vaccine for this coronavirus, I think most of us can agree that we all should be doing it. Although, at least for me, it's really not the easiest thing in the world to do in practice, especially considering the mental and emotional factors of things. I mean, the media has been putting a really big emphasis on how to maintain our physical health, but just as importantly, we need to make sure that we're taking steps to actively maintain our mental and emotional health as well. Part of doing that is to make sure that we're fostering positive relationships in our life. As people, as humans, as just who we are, we're very social by nature. And the quality of those relationships that we have go a long way to impacting our mental and emotional health. That's why it's really important that we take this time of isolation or social distancing to not only maintain our current relationships, but work to actively grow them, whether that's physically going to see people if they're like in your house or doing a Zoom call or a FaceTime or your favorite means of communication, it's really important that we go with that right now, more so now than ever. Because oftentimes after a major event like a war or a natural disaster, people tend to come together. But in regards to the coronavirus, this time specifically might be different. So if we look back after the terrorist attack of 9-11, you will see that the suicide rates actually plummeted right after. And the reason for that was there was a common enemy that people united against. So in times of trial, people like to unite to either work towards a common goal or to fight a common enemy. In this case, there was a common enemy. We pointed and said, this foreign power is our enemy. We need to come together and fight it. But for the coronavirus... We can't see the enemy. Just as people, we have a really hard time conceptualizing things that we can't see. And because of that, we have a tendency to cast things that we can't see onto other things that we can see. So in our case, we can't see the coronavirus. The virus is our enemy. But because we can't see it literally floating around in the air, we might be more inclined to view other people as our enemy rather than the true cause, the virus. So this can be problematic for a couple of different reasons. For one, say for instance, before the pandemic, you were walking down the street and you saw someone with a cool hat, nice shoes, or you just took notice of something that you liked on them. 
you would probably be more inclined to talk to them back then, strike up a conversation, talk to them about their cool hat, and just have a really quick, simple human interaction. But now, post-pandemic, if we're not careful, with this new mindset going around in the media of everyone being sick and you not knowing it, we might be more inclined to think, oh, are they sick? Why aren't they wearing a mask? Do they not care? Are they immune? What if they cough on me when I talk to them? Are they going to kill me? These might not be things you're overtly thinking of, but at least on a subconscious level, if we're not careful, we can actually adopt these views and become more socially distant later than we are right now. So by no means is this absolutely going to happen or anything. It just really shines a light on the importance of not letting our relationships go on autopilot, but to work to actively maintain and grow our relationships with our friends, family, and just people around us in general. If we do that, then we can help maintain the view in our minds of relationships being a positive thing rather than going on autopilot and letting this alienating mindset kind of creep into our mind and in our subconscious and make us more socially distant than we already are in quarantine and isolation. And that would really not be a great thing because everything's on a spectrum. Very few things are black and white. And on one end of the spectrum, if we go back to quote unquote normal, then, you know, maybe we won't have any kind of bias towards other people and we won't have any kind of stigma. Things just go back to quote unquote normal. I have to put those quotes in. But on the complete other end of the spectrum, this alienated mindset can grow into racism and xenophobia. So if we not only just neglect our relationships, but start viewing our friends and people around us as being the enemy, even on a subconscious level, then this whole mindset can grow into oh, these people from this country are my enemy or this race of people are my enemy. So we really, really need to make sure that that mindset does not proliferate because in this time, we all as people need to come together and not push each other away. So we've talked about the importance of making sure that we maintain good, positive relationships with those people around us, but what are some other steps we can take to better maintain our mental and emotional health? Luckily, we don't have to wonder. Dr. Adam Kaplan is a PhD neuroscientist at John Hopkins University, and he actually did research into this exact topic of social distancing. Now, he actually did this research before the pandemic happened, so I don't know if he's psychic or not, but it doesn't matter. He did the research and is here for us to look at. So in his study, he identified a couple of emotions that were really commonly associated with social distancing. Some of these were fear and anxiety, depression and boredom, anger and irritability. And what was really interesting is that these pairs of emotions are actually the same base emotion, but on different ends of the spectrum. So if left unchecked, anxiety can lead into fear. Boredom can lead into depression. Irritability and frustration can lead into anger. And being anxious or bored or irritable, I think we all experience those at times. But the other side of things, the anger, the depression, the fear, those emotions oftentimes don't lead to positive outcomes in our lives. So it's okay to feel those things because our emotional state is just who we are and it's important to express how we feel but we can take steps to better regulate our emotions so that we have the most positive outcome possible. So what are some steps we can take to better maintain our emotional state? 
I'm going to start off with the one that most impacted me, which is limiting your news intake. So a little blurb about me. I'm a very calm, very chill person. Like if a tornado is coming, I'm like super chill and figuring out, okay, step one, step two, step three, what do we need to do? Like I am not super frantic, I guess is the word. Man, I haven't used frantic in a long time. Anyways, I'm not very frantic. But I literally watched the news for about three or four days in a row with the coronavirus and had like a mini panic attack after the end, which was like super uncommon for me. So a tip that they give is limiting your news intake. Now, I'm definitely not saying become uninformed because that's not good either. But a tip that you can do is limit your news intake to a certain portion of the day. So you can say from 12 to 1230 or 1 to 2 or however long you want to allocate Say, this is the amount of time I'm going to use to look at the news or read an article or anything like that. And then after that amount of time, just cut it off. Because even if there's more information that comes out later in the day, chances are that little bit more of information won't tangibly affect your life at all. And it really just benefits your psyche overall to not have that constant negativity feeding into your mind. Because you can only take so much of it. Like, I'm super positive, super mellow, and it was just too much for me. So just limit your news intake and that can really go a long way into keeping down the anxiety and just all of the feelings that come with reading and hearing about the world is ending with the coronavirus. So there were a few other things in the study identified to help with social distancing and one of these things were breathing exercises. So this is something I've practiced extensively in the past and it sounds silly at first but If you just take some time, I I challenge you, just take some time, put away your phone, no TV, no nothing. Just sit in a quiet room and focus on your breath. Really, all you do is breathe in and breathe out. And I don't know why, but without fail, if you do that, you're just so calm and soothed at the end and you're just honestly happier so i challenge you just try it if you haven't tried it just try some breathing exercises you can go online and find uh different techniques and different strategies people do but really you can just breathe and focus on your breath another thing that was identified in the study is benefit finding so this is kind of another way of saying find a silver lining which i don't really like that term but essentially the method is valid which is take the negative, the seemingly negative situation and find the benefit in it or find the positive in things. Basically just keeping a positive outlook. And finally, the thing that was most recognized to help people during social distancing is realizing that social distancing doesn't mean social isolation. We've talked around it a bit, but just because we have to physically be away from each other right now doesn't mean we have to be away from each other emotionally. Text or call people. Let them know how you're feeling. Ask them how they're feeling. And you might just find that a lot more people are experiencing the same thing that you're going through than you initially thought. Because at the end of the day, during this time of fear, uncertainty, and doubt, the one thing that we can count on, the one thing that we have, is our relationships with each other. Thank you guys for joining me on the very first episode of the Adults Guide to Adulting. 
this is as new for me as it is for you. So if you found that you enjoyed the show, feel free to leave it a review on Apple Podcast. It really helps out our rankings so that other people can find the show. You can also connect with me at our website, theadultsguide.com. There you can find other episodes, additional content, and you can also leave me an audio voicemail asking any question about a topic you're interested in. If we pick your topic, we might just do a show on it and you could get featured in that episode. Anyways, I hope you all have an amazing day. Join us every Tuesday for more content and stay safe. Grace and peace, family. Peace.